All right, welcome back to another episode of Market Pre Marketing. And today, I told him he, having Ivy on and Spencer was just a tee off, <laughs> uh, just getting getting me prepared to to mentally match wits with someone of his caliber. We have Robert Hahn, managing partner of Seven DS Associates. Thank you, Kevin, and co-host of Industry Relations. I am a podcast that you should listen to. <laughs> hey, man! Like Ivy Zellman, Spencer, like you guys, you're mentioning like two personal heroes of mine. So you know. I, Ivy especially, I think she's possibly the smartest, most perceptive analyst of housing from the outside, like wow. from the finance world. Yeah. There are a lot of folks I really like a lot, but I think Ivy's, she's pretty spot on. I yeah. agree with you. And yet I'm not sure if you two currently are simpatico in your, in your short-term views. Uh, yeah. Be- I mean, that's, and I think that's what makes it interesting because I think her, her view essentially short-term is that we're overbuilt, right? Mm. Because of demographic trends. Mm-hmm. I think that's true in the medium and long term. I don't know if that's true in the short term. Yeah. So that's maybe because I think hyperinflation, you know, monetary policy is a bigger impact today. But that's to me, that's like a reasonable discussion over the long run. She's absolutely right. Demographic trends are everything. You know, I agree. And I think the thing that is preventing her vision of the short term impact from happening is that even though all this money and energy has been dedicated towards overbuilding, yeah, we just freaking can't do it. Like no. if, if, if builders could build at the capacity they'd like to be able to build right now, mm-hmm. this bubble would have already popped. Sure. <laughs> <And we> sure. Just... <laughs> sure. It never would have inflated in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, awesome. that's, yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar, Rob is notorious. That's an, an inside <laughs> joke in the general real estate world. And I always love introducing people to our audience who I feel like maybe you're not paying attention to now that you should be. Rob is definitely one of those people. And particularly for the reason... And I told him this right before we hit record that he says whatever seems to be true from his perspective with seemingly no care. And I don't know how, if, if that's just come with age or experience or, or both. I got lucky. I got lucky. And I, I mentioned this. So, you know, when I launched the blog, that's, that's why the notorious thing, right? My blog mm-hmm. is called Notorious Rob. And it's because I'm a big right fan. Here. Cause I'm from the East side, baby. I'm from New York. So, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Biggie Smalls, you know, rest in peace. So when I was launching the blog, I'm like, notorious B-I-G, notorious R-O-B, hey, that works. So, you know, that that's the reason for it. But yeah, no, I, I somehow found myself in this very fortunate situation where I feel like everyone else in real estate, they're terrified of the politics of, of things. And we're very worried about appearances. That is palpable, reason, by the way, from, from yeah, where I'm I don't, sitting. I don't care. I, I, I you know, and somehow you, did you develop that or you just never cared? I just never really cared, <laughs> you know, because part of the reason being that I was up into blogging and the general internet, like way early on, like I was a beta tester for HTML. So I knew about this stuff, Holy smokes. but when I, my entry into real estate really was through Realogy. And once I got in, I remember writing a giant memo to executives in like 2004, maybe something like that saying, Hey, this blocking thing's real. We should start a blog. And they're like, hell no, it's got to go through legal. It has to go through PR. I'm like, that's not how blogging works. So yeah, by the time I started it, I'd already left the corporate world in my view. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, you know what, like, what's the point if we can't just call it like it is. And I just somehow got lucky. And, you know, I feel like I'm one of a few people who sort of can call it like I see it and not really have to suffer massive consequences. I mean, but, I, I'm sure I suffer consequences. But. <laughs> I've watched a, a small trifle in here and there on social media when you say things. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know if the, the, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Mm-hmm. It's a great fable. Yeah. And I just, it seems like 
more people realize the emperor is naked, but they just can't publicly talk about it the way you are. And so that, right. that's what I really appreciate about what you're doing. And you're, it's not that you're just um, zigging when others are zagging or just trying to be mm-hmm. the antithesis of where the zeitgeist is. You know, you're putting no. thought into this. And that's yeah. one of my favorite things to talk about with the builders that I work with is let's war game this. Let's, instead sure. of just saying that's never going to happen or it's unlikely to happen. Sure. Why don't we just take five more minutes and think through what would it cause if it did happen? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> be a little bit more prepared. I like that emperor has no clothes like thing to a certain extent. Here's why. What most people don't think about that story is that helps the emperor. Mm. Yeah. Right. They make it seem like this is just about insulting the emperor. No, like this, that little boy is actually helping the emperor mm-hmm. come to realize that he's been misled. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> like there's a better way, yeah. you know? Like, so, yeah. you know, like a lot of people want to make it seem like I hate realtors. I'm like, no, I love realtors. You know, like all my stuff has to do with the fact that some of the things are, in my opinion, like are, are counterproductive. Right. So, you know, so let's just break some of those things down quickly. I've got a a list of talking points from previous episodes of yours, which again, we'll link in the show notes, check out industry relations, especially their YouTube page right now. It's very important. That's right. We need subscribers so we can get a name. (laughs) (laughs) But what what do you think are some of the, if you had to pick like the top three things that are just kind of messed up or aren't behaving the way that they should, or are ripe for disruption that people aren't willing to think about? I mean, I think those, those, so let's start off this way. Like let's leave opinion to some extent off, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the facts, Love these it. are not debatable, right? <laughs> the fact is the housing market is broken. That, yep. Again, that is like home prices are up. I think the case show was 19%, right? For, and we don't know because it's a little delayed. We don't know what February and March numbers look like. I suspect it's going to be, you know, near that hyperinflation category. Yeah. In some of the markets around the country, we're looking at over 40% year-over-year gains. So that is clearly hyperinflationary. We know we've had money printing like out the ass, right? We know that, right? So that's having an impact. And what I just recorded a, a video and I just put it on my channel, Notorious POD, not uh, Industry Relations, talking about how I think real estate's already housing has already been hyperinflationary mode that the rest of the economy is now starting right. to flirt with, right? With gas prices and food prices. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but look at housing over the last two years. It's already been that, right? Yeah. So learn kind of from us. So that's that's fact number one. Fact number two, and this is something that Ivy talked about, the demographics are really bizarre, right? Really bizarre. And in my opinion, one of the most important issues facing housing, real estate industry generally, is the fact that millennial home ownership is below 40%. Again, that's not my opinion. Those are facts. And that's important because considering the generations that have come before them, percentages would be more typical to what? 68%, right? So if you look at, say, you know, greatest generation, it's like over 70. No, they're dying off, right? Boomers are well above 65%. They might be 68, 69%. I got to pull it up. Gen X, you know, that's who I am. You know, we're well north of 65%. Millennials? Below 40. And that's just and the because point, the boomers own all the homes and just let the millennials live in them, right? Yeah, there's lots of reasons we could get into. That's one of it. Boomers own all the homes. A lot of the housing policy all around the country is geared against, you know, homeowner, against home building, home ownership, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Uh, home prices are ridiculous. <clears throat> and I'd like to show a lot of charts where if you look at home prices, at least in nominal terms, it's straight up into the right. Yeah. 
and you look at real wages, it's flat and declining. Right? So last two years, and again, this is fact, real wages are down <laughs> because of inflation. They're like negative 4%, negative 5%. Yeah. It's almost like, like a real facts. world measure of how human psychology works. Of right. Like how long does it take the human to figure out that just because you got a raise of X, you're still going backwards and <laughs> not that long. It's a, it's a real life experiment being run right now, right. again, for the first time right. since the seventies. Not that long. So those are facts, right? And then the third fact that I guess this is a bit more of an opinion is I think we're about to see just massive disruption in real estate because of government action. Right. And I've been charting this and talking about this for at least three, for three years, you know, maybe longer. Um, that for all intents and purposes, I believe that the policymakers in our country have turned against real estate commissions. I don't know how else to put it, right? So they're going to attack it in every conceivable way. And Sounds scary. Yeah. And I think it's going to come from the FTC. And the reason why I say that is because uh, there's an, a clause in the Biden executive order on competition that tells the FTC to go regulate real estate. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, then we're going to see it. Maybe it'll be light. Right, maybe it won't be as disastrous as I think it is going to be. I think it's going to be disastrous. So I think it's going to be a two-front war on housing. Mm-hmm. One, what you're describing, but the other is because housing is the most real form of inflation mm-hmm. and, and the most current in terms of it's been mm-hmm. happening the longest. I, I think also more and more the Fed speak and from the yeah. government in general is like we can't control inflation unless housing gets under control. So it's like, right. it's, we don't care how we break it <laughs> right. Right. Uh, temporarily, right. but it needs to be broken. Right. My fear is that politicians are going to politician because that's what they do, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to go for optics rather than real solutions. And I think that's going to create even bigger problems. That's my fear, right? Yeah, and I want to help and, you because my audience isn't as familiar yet with you. Okay. You don't believe that the government should be doing that. You just Correct. think they're going to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, in fact, I like, I like to point out, you know, I'm actually like an anarcho-capitalist personally. <laughs> so I don't believe in government. You know. yeah. I'm a I'm Jefferson libertarian. So just. Correct. You know. But my, what I think is, I think this is what they're going to do. Just looking at, you know, sort of the incentives as they're lined up. And that's that's my concern. That's my fear. And I think real estate will certainly be, you know, caught in the lurch. But you know your audience, the housing, the home builders, like y'all got y'all got some real challenges come up ahead, and I don't think it's going to get any easier for y'all. I agree, and I want to get to that, but I first want to talk about the analogy, which I again, your Rob is a master of analogies. Another reason I love him. He he, I was just listening to your most recent or or a podcast this morning in preparation, and he referenced that vendors in in general real estate are a bit like arms dealers. Correct. uh, Talking about how you know the best agents and teams of agents are just eating the lunch and are the true com- competitor to the average agent Correct. out there. Correct. That was that the just, whole Marge versus Brenda. That's just so uh, gangster. Yeah. <laughs> Arms dealer. But I've it. always, I've, I've felt that for a long time, right? Because it's not like, so, you know, I was talking to Greg, my co-host, who owns a software company and it builds, you know, cloud CMA, right? Okay, well, that makes people much more efficient. So I'm like, you're an arms dealer. You're you're giving weapons to people who then are going to go out and compete and fight with one another for market share. Yeah, but but the emotion is misplaced in the arms dealer. The arms dealers are positioned as the the enemies uh, when to the actual extent, person right. taking the commission away from the other agent is the other 
is the other agent, right? With the better and arms. So it's, yeah, I guess that's that's the way to think about it. It's like your your people are out here blaming like the AK-47, right? Like, no, blame the guy that just shot you with the AK-47. You know, yeah. that's the, almost how to think about it. Like mm-hmm. the arms, the, the tech companies, they're doing what they're doing. They're, sell, they're creating tech products that make you more efficient, make you more productive, and they're selling it to whoever will buy them. And then that other person who bought them is now far more productive and far more able than you and has come and taken your client away. Like that's not the tech vendor's fault. That's not <laughs> Zillow's fault. That's not cloud CMA's fault, right? It's just, it's one of those things. Exactly. So if this asteroid hits the real estate market, yeah. the asteroid being the government getting involved and saying Correct. this anti-competitive behavior needs to stop. Correct. Help help us just clearly define what that behavior is in particular that you think they're they're going to push on. I think it's going to be they're going to outlaw the sharing of commissions, right? So within real estate, it's the whole you know cooperation compensation piece or the mandatory unilateral offer of compensation. So the idea <laughs> that all those terms, right? The idea yeah. that seller will pay the listing agent six percent, five percent, whatever it is, and the listing agent will then share that commission with the buyer's agent. I think. I think what they're going to do is look to basically outlaw that and ban it by regulation, right? Is that the right thing to do? Probably not. <laughs> but again, this is a case where it's not about my approval or disapproval. It's about you know what I think they're going to do, right? Yeah, and the and the argument is that it's none of that is required, and so there is ability to negotiate or have the conversation. I thought it was interesting, even though when I recently sold my own house, Rob. And I was talking, so the last two homes I've sold by myself running Facebook ads to my mm-hmm. free Zillow listing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in both cases, the the buyer had an agent who I just said, hey, could you do that paperwork for me? And they right. were like, sure. So I wasn't planning to use an agent, but I, I have a good friend of mine who, who is an agent. And the market being so crazy, I just didn't want to deal right. with having 40 offers that I had to sift through and call back and, and go right. back and forth. Right. But he came over, looked at the house, gave me an appraisal what he thought the the high end of the market would be. And I said, okay, cool. I would like to pay you one and a half, maybe 2% to do your part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd also like to pay the the other half, one and a half percent. And of course there's discussion on his end because he wants to make what he wants to make and sure. provide value. Um, but on the, on the buyer's agent, I was like, here's the thing. It's going to be really awkward for me to have to tell the other people in my own office, let alone mm-hmm. the other people I have to work with all the time. So I'm just not sure. I'm, he didn't say no; it can't happen. It's like I'm not comfortable doing it. And then when when he stops talking, right? Like as a consumer, you're like, okay, so I think we're done. <laughs> like, right. I, I, I'm willing to pay you to remove that headache from my life of having to to talk to 40 people and schedule right. showings and all the rest. Right. But I understand that the the person bringing the buyer, I, I think that needs to be that negotiation. So in in practice, it's it's more, and that's the government's point is. Correct. It's, in practice, it's so hard and so uncommon that it actually does get negotiated on a consistent basis. Or what was what it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of academic research out there that suggests you know there's all sorts of steering happening. Those there's a couple of lawsuits, three lawsuits in particular that are really important happening right now: Merle versus NAR, Sitzer, and a case called Leader versus NAR. Right. So they're going to make their way through the legal system, and there's there are these big sort of class action antitrust lawsuits. I've been covering those as well, you know, from the start, you know, there's just been no action in any of those lawsuits the last 12 months or so. It's been a little bit boring. And then the FTC is going to come in. The point is, and again, we we could probably do a four-hour class or whatever, and I could go through all the evidence why I think that, but I I really think that the policymaking 
infrastructure, if you will, our lords and masters in Washington, D.C., have sort of come to the conclusion that 6% is too high. What they want is more like European rates, which is like one and a half to 2% to sell a home. And they have identified cooperation compensation, this practice of sharing, as the problem. Right. Yeah. So however they attack it, they're going to attack it. It does make you wonder, though, doesn't it? Like, how did that was, – was it enough politicians were saying to themselves this 6% seems excessive or is someone else whispering in their ear? I think it's somebody else. It's basically academics. I think it's, you know, think tanks, mm. right? Um, and the way I look at sort of the D.C. structure, politicians know nothing. Really. <laughs> I, that's what I really believe. <laughs> Right? I told you like he's your honest. favorite politician, I told you he's you know, whatever. You could be a fan of Senator, whoever. I feel like they know nothing. They're just faces in front of cameras and it's the staff and the think uh-huh. tanks, the lobbyists uh-huh. do all the work. Yeah. And I think those folks have essentially come to the conclusion that we have a problem because of the commission rate being too high. So they're going to attack it. However, they're going to attack it. And so then what? Let's say that they, they say right. that has to stop and the buyers need to pay their agent and the sellers need to pay their agent. Right. What ends up happening is residential real estate at that point looks a whole lot like commercial real estate, right? Where Mm -hmm. maybe the listing agents are going to continue to get the full thing, or maybe they'll just have to deal with straight competition. So in the example you gave, you know, your friend comes and says, "Uh, you know, I'll do it for 2%. You know, Redfin comes out, do it for 1%. Some new agent comes out, do it for half a percent. You're right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, competition is naturally going to drive the price lower, right? Now, maybe you say, I want the platinum service and I want whatever, everything mm-hmm. you're providing, so I'll pay the 2.5%. Maybe you say you don't, but that becomes your decision as the seller. And in no part of that conversation is there something about, look, I'm willing to do it for half a percent, but you know, we need to offer the buyer's agent. To, like that's That just goes away, mm-hmm. right? The other disaster is on the buy side, buyer agents, literally there's a, and I, and I got sued by the Department of Justice. And one of the settlement points they agreed was that buyer agents can no longer claim their services are free. <laughs> and I'm like, for as long as I've been in the industry, every buyer agent would be like, let me help you. You know, yeah, that's always house. one of the things is, and you don't have to pay me a dime. You don't have to pay, right? The seller pays me, right? So under that settlement, and NAR passed some new ethics rules now because of that, you can't claim that. So as a buyer's agent, you have to go to your buyer and say, and you're paying me you know, by paying the purchase price, right? <laughs> which the seller will then share. And, you know, it's yeah. just complicated. Yeah. So you can't claim that anymore. So what happens now? Buyer agents have to go and convince their buyers to pay them directly, potentially. That's not a comfortable conversation for those folks to have. Right. And no, because also how, how are you paying them then? It's likely going to go per, per hour. That's what I think. So I think what we're going to see is I think buyer agents at least will go to some sort of hourly rate or potentially a uh, you know project rate, which I actually think is better for them. You know, I really do. And you know, I'll have diff- people disagree with my. Yeah, I don't but think like, anyone's going to do enough time studies to prove it. But I and I, I do understand what you're saying is mm-hmm. if you count all the head time that they're thinking and processing, let alone driving around and showing. Bingo. And and here's the thing, like I, I know like my wife is a former broker, like all my friends are agents. And I'm like, it sucks to hear how they spent 40 hours working with this buyer. Mm-hmm. And then the tail at the end of all of yeah. that, the buyer's like, change my mind, I'm gonna rent for a year. Well, that fucking blows, man. That sucks. That's that's no way. Yeah. And the buyer agents have to take on all this risk 
So I don't, I don't even think I'm not one of those people who thinks a buyer agent is overpaid because they're getting two and a half percent. Like, no, why? Because they, they're taking on all the risk, right? They can yeah. work with a hundred clients and 99 of them do nothing. And now you're, now you haven't gotten paid a thing and gas is more expensive now. So it's, it's one of those things. I feel like I actually think that's going to be end up better for buyer agents. Yeah. The trouble is one of the asteroid factors and why this hasn't already happened and all of these, there's all sorts of other things is because it kind of destroys the value proposition of the MLS. And if it does that, then you're destroying the value proposition of the, or not the value, pro, you're destroying the infrastructure of the entire residential real estate industry has been built. And again, I just look at, look at the way things work in commercial real estate versus the way things work in residential real estate. And a lot of people would say, and I'm one of them, it sucks in commercial, right? In other words, like, if you think it's, it's hard like, to buy a It's a, a different home, kind of a grind or what, what do you mean by yeah, it sucks? Yeah, like try leasing office space, right? Like you don't know what's, what the inventory is. As a is. consumer, it as sucks. A consumer, or as, okay, correct. yes, I agree with that. I remember looking yeah. uh, when I was in a smaller home and I was my office was above the kitchen. Yeah. I had four kids who were homeschooled at the yeah. time and I was like, I got to get the heck out of here. I'm going to lose my mind. I have a severe mm-hmm. ADD, so I can't, I can't have that kind of distraction. I'm right. looking on LoopNet and all these places and- I would, I would find something that had the right price and I'd call and maybe four days later, someone would call me back and they mm-hmm. wouldn't ever show me the properties. They would right. just start talking to me about, oh, you just want a single office of this square footage. Well, I know it says that price, but there's these other fees and it's just not even worth your time. And I was like, well, can't we, can't I see it? And we developed this friendship. And then you, after you learn more of what I really need, you just help me find the next thing. It was weird. Yeah. No, commercial is a totally different world. So that's that's the asteroid situation. And all I'm suggesting, and what I, Greg and I have been talking about for over, I don't know, a year now is I don't believe that most of the companies and organizations in real estate are ready. I don't even think they have contingency plans in place. But what do we do if this asteroid hits? Well, yeah, instead, they're looking at the most seeing- that, have, that have held firm for decades, uh, almost, mm-hmm. almost centuries. And like, those are still pretty good moats. Right. It, and it would take an actual asteroid to destroy the correct. entire castle correct. and moat complex. But, you know, to- I, I look at that and I say, it's really not, right? I mean, and one of the quotes I love the most is, uh, permanence is the illusion of every age. Right? I can't mm-hmm. remember who said it. I have to go look it up. But it's a great quote, right? That is a great quote. This idea that because this system has existed for 40, 50, 60 years, so therefore, you know, we can't even imagine it going away. Yeah. I'm like 40, 50, 60 years ago is not that long ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's really not that long ago if in the scope of things. And things could change, right? Um, yeah. and I think we're we're living through such disrupted, disruptive times right now. Again, even outside of real estate, right? Things like dollar status as reserve currency. That's being questioned now. Who knows what's going to happen with that, right? Another four-hour class, but Correct. I, I want to touch on that in a second. But if the MLS gets gets um, attacked, disrupted. is probably the wrong word. Attack disrupted. Yeah, if the MLS gets disrupted, you know, Zillow pivoted heavy into using MLS and is part of MLS systems and has their own yep. agents and is just fully connected to that as part of their transition into the iBuying yep. process. Yeah, does that put them at in particular risk? Do you think yes. if that asteroid hits? Oh, absolutely. Zillow's absolutely screwed if that if that happens. And the big reason is because if you look at Zillow's revenues, especially now that they pivoted away from iBuying, mm-hmm. it's almost entirely line on buy side commission. Buyer agents are the ones who buy premier agent, you know, so they get the leads, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, if the value of those leads, what is the value of those leads if buyers go, I'm only going to get 10 bucks an hour? Yeah. Or, or they have to have the conversation of, correct. you know, it's already tough enough to get the, the buyer lead to respond to you. But correct. If, if once they finally do respond to you, the first conversation has to be, correct. here's the thousands of dollars you're going to owe me, correct. no matter how this ends up. Correct. <laughs> correct. So, you know, there's, it's a real problem. So who knows what, one of the things I've, you know, the last episode I think was, it's not like Zillow is run by stupid people. They're very, uh-huh. very smart. Uh-huh. So they have to be thinking, okay, what do we do? Right. And I yeah. feel like they have to become putting together some sort of contingency plans as a just in case. The point I would make is, I don't know who else is putting together those contingency plans, but I suspect they're, they're it vanishing. It feels like there's few. a few. Um, right. And maybe we'll get back to home, home and gold price in, in a second. Sure. I think instead we should just get your perspective of Zillow, Realtor, Redfin, CoStar, mm-hmm. Company X. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the most interesting to you in terms of over the next three years, you think could shift? Over the next up? three years, uh, mm-hmm. the most interesting for me right now is Open Door. Oh, wow. Okay, Cause, good. Right. Because Zillow's shareholder out of iBuy. They sponsored the right? spot podcast. They're going to love this. They, they, they sponsored this podcast? Yes, they, they do. do. All right. Yeah. Hey, Open Door, so consider sponsoring <laughs> industry relations. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But uh, no, I think Open Door because I've taken a pretty radical position a couple of years ago that I think iBuying is going to constitute 60% of the market. And everyone was like, that's crazy and ridiculous and stupid. And I, I kept having to point out when I made that bet, I included, quote, market maker, which is Open Door and Zillow, mm-hmm. as well as what I call the, uh, the bridge loan model, which was knock fly homes. Yep. And now, here we are two years later and we call it power buyer. And I'm like, look, fundamentally, the whole thing for me was the transaction sucks. It really does. It really sucks. And I'm like, why does it suck? If you think about why it sucks so bad, it's because of mortgage. Politicians, isn't that the answer? Well, politicians just kidding. are always involved <laughs> in the answer. I think they're the reason why home building is such a piece of such a problem. But uh, I'm saying the transaction sucks because of mortgage, because I need to go get to mm-hmm. borrow money. And I had a conversation recently with a, a tech startup founder. We we're having talking about fractional ownership. And he kind of told me his origin story, which was he bought, he, he didn't buy his first house until he became rich being a, a tech company founder. Uh-huh. So the first home he bought was cash. And he's like, it's a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, really? That's it? Like I put in an offer, you accept it. And like 48 hours, I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you right. need to go through... So I think open door, power buyer, whatever you want to call it, those guys are changing the transactions. I think that's why they're the most most interesting. Uh, number two for me would be probably Zillow and three CoStar, but two and three are very, very close together. And it's because they're linked, right? It's cl- linked. It seems to me they're linked because it seems to me that the, call it the next three to five years of the residential real estate industry is a story of the clash of titans between Zillow and CoStar. Right now in the current path, CoStar is going to win that battle. Right now. Tell me more. Zillow is not going to just sit back and let that happen. No. And Zillow has so, the hearts and the minds of the consumer today. Yeah, but consumer hearts and minds are worth shit. Okay. This, this is, I was hoping you were going to say something yeah. about this because I, I did the math one time because we do d- digital marketing, advertising, inside sales support for yeah. builders and yeah. developers. And so I can run the math on what the average cost per click is to drive traffic using social yeah. and search. And, and I did it, this is, gosh, three years ago. I was like, if, I, if you wanted to equal the monthly user rate of Zillow, 
at the time it was going to cost like 7 million bucks a mm-hmm. month to do mm-hmm. that. Like that is a lot of money, but it's not an insurmountable amount of money if, if done properly mm-hmm. and you had a better system and a better offering mm-hmm. to push the consumer in a different direction, at least a, par- right. a portion of the consumer base. Right. I, I guess I'm making a larger point, which is that consumers don't care about you at all. Consumers care about themselves, mm-hmm. right? So they'll go to Zillow because Zillow is like what's giving them whatever it is they the want. Today. They're, they're the, in the yeah. default first place position. Exactly. But you know what? If something better arises, they're all going to shift. Right? I, I, I've said for years, Rob, if there's one more photo on Realtor mm-hmm. and, and I, I'm looking at the same home on both platforms, then from that yeah. point forward, I'm continuing to use both platforms because I'm looking for exactly. that one extra photo. Exactly. And, and I look at, you know, think about something like social media, which is the alternate network effect thing. Mm-hmm. Facebook is powerful, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, Instagram came out of nowhere and then all of a sudden yeah. Facebook, we better go buy those guys, right? Mm-hmm. All right, well, so they buy Instagram, now it's Facebook and Instagram and they want to be meta and all this, all of a sudden TikTok out of nowhere. And in other words, consumers to me are just counting Fickle. on consumer loyalty is it's a dangerous game. You know, I think it's just about you got to prove yourself every single day. Like, hey, consumer, you should come to me because I'm going to deliver whatever at the. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, going to be the I same think, thing. I think brand loyalty uh, or the or the power of your brand can can afford you a few hiccups. Correct. But if you consistently screw up, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Not only that, but if somebody else just does a better job, if they create a better yeah. mousetrap, you know, and whatever better experience, then then you you don't have a lot of time before you have to adapt. Now, yep. here's my point: Zillow is run by really smart people. Incredible. So they're going to adapt, right? So when I say on the current path, it's based on what I currently know about Zillow's strategy, mm-hmm. you know, their latest earnings hotel, about the super housing app and all this. I'm like, that, that way you're going to lose to CoStar. Bottom line. CoStar then is number three because they're so smart. Like Andy Florence might be the smartest guy in, in residential real estate, in commercial real estate, in real estate. Like he might be, he's, he's a genius. And the way Bezos that I wrote level. this hundred page report on CoStar, you know, um, and I, I actually think he's, he's got it figured out for where things are headed right now. And as yet, I haven't seen a response from Zillow or Redfin or Realtor or anybody else in US residential real estate that makes me think that they understand the threat and what they're going to do about it. That's why those are one, two, three yeah. for me. Wow. I love it. And back to the better mousetrap thing though, I've also heard you say, and I agree um, that Redfin has a better site than Zillow does. They do. I think so. I think, I think even just them originally integrating all of the media into a single gallery Mm -hmm. and creating a button that says make an offer Mm -hmm. years ago. um, There's just so many things that are pretty straightforward, but it is a better mousetrap. And yet they, they can't seem to really grow the way that, that they were expected to. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure why. You know, I mean, that might be just execution blocking and tackling. In other words, like Zillow might have better people, you know, on payroll doing SEM and Google. Are geographically, they are they are they? I mean, their website covers North America, but I, right. I just feel like they're still. I'm in Ohio. Correct. It seems seems right. like that that place that I I check and I know of, but it's right. a Pacific Northwest kind of right. experience. No, and there, I think Redfin still is in sort of the higher price markets, right? Mm-hmm. So the West Coast, East Coast, yeah. Uh, parts of the South, you know, like, and Redfin has certain business model issues, right? Because they do W2 agents. So they can't really take on clients who don't, aren't going to generate enough revenue, you know, so they're, they got some problems with that. There's a lawsuit going on right now because of that. 
but I'm just saying from a straight website standpoint, yeah. you know, I'm not sure why they haven't been able to get the type of traffic traction that Zillow and Realtor.com have. And certainly CoStar is going to spend money on. Who knows? You know, maybe it's just blocking and tackling. But I, I think the right from website's better, right? Yeah, but, I, I, think it, I, think it's, I think it is better too. Yeah. Um, okay, home price versus gold price and, and why you think... <laughs> so this could, again, go off on a whole other quasi-conspiracy, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, yeah. the end of, of the United uh, States yeah. as we know it. I think that's yeah, why yeah. you were chuckling when you said 30 years in the future or something like yeah. who, know, who the hell knows because I think... Who knows? Anything could happen, but... Yeah. Um, Talk to us about the if, sure. if you could buy a house with gold, how that is showing you that there's there's not the type of so let me give um, you the context behind the context behind this is a, a series of ongoing debates that I'm having with like Greg and other people in the industry, right? Are these debates um, recorded public? Where are they? Yeah, they're all you know okay. on the I'm podcast, like industry relations. I'm just you know, trying to my, keep plugging you because yeah, then, notorious pod, you know, yeah. you can find me on YouTube. And basically, there is a sense from a lot of folks that housing is overvalued. Right, that there's a housing bubble, yep. and that when the Fed raises rates, when you know the market changes, it's it's all going to come crashing down. Right, there's a sense, and what I keep pointing out is I so I've taken these stance, and again, keep in mind opinions, strong opinions, very weakly held. So if data comes out otherwise, I'm happy to yeah. change my mind. What I'm seeing is I don't think housing is overvalued. I don't think we have a seller's market. I don't think home prices have gone up. What I think is that the U.S. dollar has been devalued, right? And I think the U.S. dollar has, now that I've looked into it more, has been steadily devalued since the great financial uh, crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Since the last time the real estate bubble popped and threatened the global financial order. Because if you look at the numbers, the Fed has been just printing money pretty consistently since about 2009, 2010 timeframe, you know, with QE and the operation twist and all these things. And then when the COVID thing hit, we just saw it go like- To another level. To vertical, right? Level. Um, so I, one of the, my favorite websites to sort of talk about this is a site, website called pricedingold.com. Right? So users could t- totally go check it out. And what that website does is they price various things in gold, in ounces of gold, right? And one of the in- most interesting things about that is if you priced housing in gold, it's actually not that expensive. <laughs> you know I mean, it's actually not that high. It's so like 1985 price, levels right now. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So it's so if you priced, if you look at the home prices in dollars, then yeah, it's like you know straight up and to the right. If you price in gold, it kind of goes up, comes down, and now we're kind of back. Yeah. So my point behind that is to say, I don't. I think we have a long way to go before we can really talk about housing being in a bubble, right? Because again, if the issue is not homes have gone you know, gotten too expensive, it's that the dollar's gotten devalued. Then, you know, if I'm an investor, and those are those are kind of things I talk about. If I'm an investor, if I'm a family fund, if I'm a big institution, where am I putting my cash? Right. Yeah. I gotta put it somewhere, right? I mean, I'm a big hedge fund. I can't just stuff hundred dollar bills. You can't in wait my for bench. later. Yeah. You know, there, there's no luxury of just holding that cash right. So I think what's happening is we're seeing a big rotation of capital out of Bonds, which are negative yielding right now, out of on you know risk securities into housing because it's an inflation hedge, right? And it has been for a long time. It generates okay. cash flow. I, th- this is what I've wanted to ask you since I first heard you talk about this, though. Is yeah. I believe everyone keeps talking about the consumer is strong, consumer yeah. is great, all, their credit's good, their equity is yeah. great, um, and no one wants to talk about the fact that 
credit scores don't matter when institutions or companies buy real estate. That's right. And that's, that's put, people pat me on the head and say, you're so cute, Kevin, please go yeah. away now. Yeah. Because you don't understand these institutions are planning to just hold this real estate forever. And what I, I keep coming back so. in is that's what everyone says they always plan to do with something mm-hmm. that's valuable. Mm-hmm. And they might, they might never change. Like when, when the market goes down uh, in, in equities, you sell what you can. Uh, so you might love Apple as a stock. If the yeah. whole market's going down and you're losing yeah. money as a fund yeah. and you have to raise some cash to cover other obligations, you do what yeah. you have to do, which might mean you sell your most favorite equity ever in Apple stock. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing could happen with a collapse in some other part of the economy yeah. where then an institution says, hey, those 13,000 homes, they need to be gone by the end of the month. And mm-hmm. if there's concentration of where those homes are, I'm not speaking a national Great Recession type of scenario, but it could absolutely implode different pockets around the country. Yep. Yep. Does that sound crazy? Because everyone seems to just... No, I think that's exactly right. And there's a couple other things I'll point out. Now, keep in mind, here's the context. I've never been like in trading. Do you know what I mean? I've, mm-hmm. I'm not that guy, but I've listened to enough of them to kind of understand yeah, same here. this up. Like one of the things is a lot of funds that have to rebalance their portfolio from time to time. Right. Uh, legally so, speaking, sometimes with some of the sometimes Dodd-Frank legally laws. speaking, yeah. but a lot of the times, like in their investment strategies, okay, we're going to be like fifteen percent in super high risk, mm-hmm. whatever Russell two thousand. We're mm-hmm. going to put thirty percent in blue chip, you know, tech stocks. We're gonna, certain amount in bonds, blah blah blah. So sometimes what they have to they have to sell shares because you're just out of balance. Like yep. Tesla stock went up so much. Yep. We don't want to sell it, but our portfolio balance says we have to sell a million shares of Tesla now because the value, you know, it's stuff like that, right? That's number one. Number two, traders, professional traders will talk about this all the time, which said they have zero emotions. They have no feelings about anything that they own, right? For them, it's just buy low, sell high, buy low, sell high. We don't care, right? So, you know, but I feel the, like everyone's forgotten that real estate is traditionally not a liquid asset, but we're talking correct. about it because of the supply and demand imbalance correct. that it is liquid. Well, I mean, it's more liquid now, I think, than it was. It's, it, yeah. If you are a large institution and you don't care about losses, you don't care about any of that stuff. A lot of times, you know, companies will just take a loss. Okay, fine. And we think about it from a consumer standpoint, yeah. like, holy crap, like if I lost $100,000 on my home, what does that do to my personal wealth? And, you know, my kids are now starving and they can't go to college. Mm-hmm. If I'm an institution and it's like, okay, well, my portfolio is $8 billion. If I sell these 10,000 homes in Phoenix, collective, I'm going to lose a billion. Okay, that sucks. But you know what? Moving on. Moving on. You know, it's like. <laughs> What's for lunch? <laughs> you're right. You know, it's like, that. that's the nature of the market. Like, you know, you. Yeah. You know, one day you're going to lose 100 million. Next day you're going to make 100 million. And overall, what you want to look at is at year end, am I up 40%, right? And a lot of times those guys are. And I think they'll do all of those things. So do you think then that um, the price of homes is more of a head fake and where interest rates are going is more something like? Yeah. I mean, so like I said, if the if if I'm right about kind of where I'm at, which is I don't think home price has really gone up, right? I think it's the dollar's been devalued. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, I think home prices are a bit of head fake. What it's not a head fake though. That's the wrong way to think about it because the flip side of it, and that really sucks, is hourly wages haven't gone up. Yeah, true. True affordability is still a problem. I, I mean, being, a head right. fake in terms of the conversations I have every day with home builders who are just like, right. "Oh my gosh, uh, this is a crazy market." Because look what the prices right. are. Right. I'm like, well, 
Mm. Check out what Rob's talking about because it's maybe not yeah. as much price. Affordability is definitely a challenge, which is part That's of That's a different conversation. But right. I think affordability is going to be eroded even faster if, like, I wouldn't be surprised if interest rates, thirty, the average 30 year is over 6% by the end of May. Oh, it yeah. shock I, me. Well, I'll be a little surprised. Uh, I'll get, uh, maybe we'll touch okay, on that. Yeah. I'll be a little surprised. But let's say that, let's, let's say rates go to 10%. Okay. <laughs> I mean, let's just say mortgage rates are 10%. Yeah. Okay. So consumer demand is non-existent. Okay. Let's just say that's the case, right? The point I want to make is, all right, that's cool. You still got to live somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this ain't, this isn't, you know, like this isn't uh, an Apple iBook, iPad, like I don't need it. You know what I mean? This isn't yeah. even like a car, right? Like I could take public transit. If your choice is homeless versus have lived somewhere, roof over my head, you're going to take roof over your head. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, consumer housing demand dries up. Okay, now what? You still got to live somewhere, which means institutions. And if I'm an investor, that becomes really appealing. Yeah. So direct to your audience, the home builders, one of the trends I've been tracking that I find the most interesting, most fascinating are the build to rent communities. They're blowing up. Yeah. And there's like tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars of equity capital chasing those types of deals. Yeah. And my, my discussions with the builders who are involved in those is that's, that's amazing for you. Just make sure you're getting your fair share for doing all of the hard work because right. organizing the money is not the hard part. Like right. actually getting the stuff in the ground and vertical, that's the hard part. And make sure you're not negotiating away too much of your, your share of that just right. to, to lower your risk a bit. Like this right. is the time to take that risk. Right. And, and no, I, I completely agree. But my, my point simply is like the home housing is a fundamental good, right? It, this is not optional is my point, right? Mm-hmm. This is not an optional consumer product. This is, you must have it. It's like energy. It's like food. It's like housing. Like you have to have it. Okay. Yeah. So if something happens to the economy, mortgage rates go to 10%, you know, real wages are suppressed. So most people can't afford to buy a home. Okay. They still got to live somewhere. Yeah. Right. And until you choose to sell that asset for, for the average person, it's not a negative until you have to sell. Correct. If you so can ride it out and gonna, wait for the right. market to change. Right. And I think that's, that's the big question that I want to talk about <laughs> margin, Brenda, we're probably gonna run out of time, but um, I think the big question for me related to, to builders and developers is what happens this summer with people putting more homes on the market or not? Because if you have to trade if yeah. most people, where are they going to live? What are they going to do with the money? All those questions you're pondering. Yeah. Will we see an increase in, in the number of homes available on the market this, this summer? Cause if not, it's going to keep pushing people towards builders. Like again, yeah. Affordability aside, regardless of what else is happening. Yeah. I don't, I mean, we'll see, right? So like I said, I think this summer, this this spring, the summer season is really critical to see what happens, right? We know, here's what we know. We know mortgage rates are 5% and over and they're climbing higher. People seem to believe that this is going to, you know, like completely suppress consumer demand. There's some evidence suggests that maybe, you know, the, the 50 multiple offers type of scenario is no longer the case. Yeah. I'm not sure about that because again, like, the, the video I uploaded this morning was talking about how this hyperinflationary mindset has already taken hold. If you are low income, if you're working class, then yeah, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no two ways about it. You are screwed. 
But if you're not, if you're, you know, if you have income, if you are, if you have any sort of wealth, if you have some 401k savings, if you have some stock market gains, you have some cash, right? Especially over the last two years, you haven't traveled, you haven't gone out to eat. I mean, you have some cash. And I think those people are sort of gotten into this hyperinflationary mindset. If I don't buy now, I'll lose my window. So I have Mm -hmm. to buy now. At the same time, who's selling? Who that, the hell that's that's why I think the summer is going to be really interesting. Because again, in the home building world, we're not seeing the consumer going away at all. Since, since both the, the Ukraine war and interest mm-hmm. rates have jumped mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. website activity has only come down on home builder sites by about 5%. And that's even surprising to me that it's come down at all. Because like I said, if, if we are entering into the sort of uncertain world and recession and all these things, you got to have some things like certain in your life, right? And, yeah. I, and I just look at it as as uh, just, you know, as a personal thing. Like if I had rent right now, if I wasn't a homeowner today, I'd be freaking out way more than I am now. Yeah. Because I'd be worried about what's my landlord going to do? Because right. that's the other thing. Rents are going up like 15% a year. I was just right? talking to a builder today who they're on the more affordable side and they were concerned about interest rates. And I said, you, when your sales individuals interact with a consumer, they need to just pull up the actual data on what rents have done the last two mm-hmm. years. Yeah, And then just ask the customer, what do you think they're going to do the year after that? Yeah. And the year after yeah. that, yeah. the one benefit is, is that certainty word that you were talking about is once you close on your home loan, unless it's a, unless it's a adjustable rate mortgage. Even if it's an adjustable rate mortgage, let's but talk even, about but, but you know what your payments, there is certainty in your life now mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. life of that loan. That's right. some, some constraint. Whereas if you're, right. if you're just a renter, that's right. you need to, you need to push on that uncertainty. Right. Because that's so. That let me make a, a point about because I've I've given some presentation where I talk about this, right? And I heard this earlier, like last year, sometime it blew my mind because it's absolutely right. In the eighties and nineties, you go get a mortgage and you buy a house. The house was the asset, mm-hmm. and the mortgage was a liability that you had to pay the bank. Today, the mortgage is the asset, the house is the liability. I think it was Michael Saylor okay, well, who said that. We're just gonna rewind. Do that. Yeah. Say, say that again because that's some- today. <laughs> The mortgage is the asset and the house is a liability. Because Why? of inflation. Because of inflation. Literally right now, my bank is paying me to borrow money because I, you know, I got my loan. I was like 3% or 4 whatever it was. Well, nominal inflation is eight and a half. Nominal, right? Headline. Mm-hmm. If you believe some other people that I believe, then true inflation is probably closer to 17, 18%. Well, isn't, isn't housing the most true barometer of what inflation is really doing? I, I could make that argument. That's, that's where I'm Again, going. Look at the fundamentals, right? Like you don't need a car. You don't need uh, washing machines. You need housing, you need food, and you need energy. Yeah. And all three things are up like 20% a year. And, and a new construction, I still, I, I believe I'm correct in saying this. It is the most complicated thing that's ever going to put to, be put together in terms of the number of pieces, the number of mm-hmm. different companies, the layers. Mm-hmm. So inflation, I think, just shows more true True. In new construction, because look, it's just, there's a hundred different companies supplying 10,000 different parts. Agree. And talk parts. about supply chain disruptions and, yeah. you know, the impact of like diesel fuel costs. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks who've been looking at that impact in agriculture. I'm like, somebody needs to start looking at that impact in housing and home building. Cause I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. Right? And that's why I think despite turbulence ahead for home builders and developers, the supply demand imbalance means mm-hmm. that the government, I, I agree with you again, from, from one place or another says housing has to be put in its place. 
Because if right. we if we if we fix inflation everywhere else but housing, it's, we still didn't fix anything really. Correct. Correct. And so here's the way I think. I think from a normal, like just not normal, normal is not the wrong, <laughs> right word here. From an economic standpoint, supply and demand just points to home builders, housing just being like the business to be in. Here's the big danger. The big danger is politics. And I think your audience, because they're home builders, should really understand that. Like the fact that in California, like what's the permit cost to build something? Yeah, that's- any- that when you talk to someone who builds affordable product, I'm using air quotes, right. wherever that is in the country, builders will tell you that even if I was given the land for free, right, I couldn't, I could no longer create a home that is considered affordable. Correct. It's impossible. Correct. Right. So and land is the traditionally the largest cost basis. That's right. In your product as a builder. So you guys already know that the government is is the biggest barrier to you know affordable housing. Mm-hmm. My point is this. And remember when I said, like, politician got a politician. They're just looking to say, how do I get reelected? How do I stay yeah, in office? Right. right? Okay. If housing prices go insane, if all these things start to happen, millennial home ownership is already below 40%. Mm-hmm. You start going to hundreds of millions, like tens of millions of Americans and saying, hey, guess what? You know that American dream of home ownership? Gone for you. Yeah. What happens? Welcome to I'm Europe and like, America. Isn't that, that? I mean, isn't it just Europe and America? I don't know what it is, right? We've never seen that in this country. My point simply is this, like, we can't just look at supply and demand. We can't just look at what we've had 10 years or 20 years of underbuilding, right? Although if you ask Ivy Zellman, she would say there's no underbuilding. But that's, my point is, those things are going to have impact in the political world. Mm-hmm. And we can then expect, I think, you can expect the government to do like the worst possible thing. For yeah. example, price controls. Yeah. Right. We're already seeing action like that for rent controls all over, you know, all over the country. Yeah. It's not that hard for the government to come in and start talking about, you know what, uh, home builders, you greedy home builders, like screw yes. you. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. They, they already hate your carbon footprint and your exactly. a, right. a, everything else that you're doing when you build the home. Right. But you're talking about transition to the government actually just looking at you and say, I hate the builder. Or you're not, you're not, not the cause make, or the, the human you're beings not that cause all money. this extra traffic. It's the builder right. itself that's the problem. Right. And you're not allowed to make money. You're you're overcharging for this and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, my point, and again, there's there's no economic sense and it's nonsense. And we all get it, like with we're in the industry. My yeah. point simply is that a politician doesn't care because all they care about is optics to get reelected. Yeah. And and, and, tw- and the energy industry is kind of case number whatever you want to make it to, <laughs> to your point, right? Right. Right. So there's enough examples. I think we all kind of understand it. So I think this spring and the summer is going to be real interesting because I, my, if I had to go out on a limb, like I said, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I don't care who. Nobody knows. I'm going to guess that we're still going to have housing prices be somewhere in the 20% year over year. I don't think we're going to see an inventory surge because I don't see where this inventory comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, the only so let me give Macaw for a second. The only area where we might see inventory surge is if the boomers really started dying off. Well, COVID didn't right. do it enough. COVID didn't. I, that's the <laughs> so only. I don't know. Get, an extra couple right? million. I'm not. I'm not laughing at the people who have actually died, but if a couple right. extra million people now is the number, right, that have passed away, right, and it in has some re- form do the stats, right? Um, Meaning, if I own a home and I sell my home, I got to live somewhere. Where am I going? Yeah. Right. And this is one of the issues. Like, if you sell your home today, great, you got top dollar. Where are you going? Even if you sold so, your second home that you don't need to go anywhere, what are you going to do with the money? Right. 
that's another issue. So it's, you know, we might see things like that. So I think home builders, I mean, you're, you're an essential industry. That's how I look at it. I mean, I think it's sort of shocking how little we really talk about home builders. You know, I did one interview recently with uh, talking about just like construction technology, because hmm. I'm not like, where's the productivity gains coming from, you know, home construction. And the point that, you know, he raised, which we just talked about is there's plenty of innovation. There's plenty of construction tech creating productivity, but that's not where the cost is. The cost is in government yeah, permits and I, regulations and flaws. Right? That, that's so, definitely a huge part of it, why it's not solving more problems. But the other problem is just that um, there's not a, a consolidation enough in the SKU count for most builders mm -hmm. to be able to, to use mass market production techniques. Right. When even though the math keeps proving itself out, builder after builder who tries it succeeds of, I don't need 45 different home designs. I need the best five. Right. Internally, that's just a hard thing for companies to to grasp, and so they look at a piece of technology, and and when they figure out the the cost of capital and, and the time of return, right, and the variations that they think they need, I think I think that's where this market is going to give us an opportunity when it really is just front mm -hmm. and center that it's it's supply supply supply. We're right. talking about that, but most of the people in home building still seem to think that as long as you have land, the supply comes magically. So just secure mm. the land. And well, I mean, certainly that's, I think land what it causes Ivy her concern. Yeah, I mean, certainly land is important, but yeah, I think that's when those guys probably should go should talk to Ivy more, right? And maybe come call me after you're done talking to Ivy because yeah. the types of things I like to point out is Ivy's even being nice talking about demographic trends. So let's end on this because you know we yeah. go on and on and on. But I, I would I would argue that the biggest thing to look at is marriage rates. Millennials are not getting married, right? And by some estimates, Pew Research had this study, I want to say in 2015, saying that they think a quarter of young adults then would mm -hmm. never be married, right? So I think you mentioned, Kev, you're 41. So yeah. you're like an older millennial. Barely, right? yeah. I hung out with boomers all my life. You're yeah. right around the cusp. But like yeah. the, the point I would like to make is millennials aren't kids anymore. They're in their 40s. The no, oldest millennials I, I are in their no 40s. On the top of my head. Right? Most yeah. of them are in their 30s. Yep. And their marriage rate is the lowest we've ever seen. And my point is, and they still need a home, but they're not going to be able to afford the same type of home that's available. Well, not only that, they don't need the same type of home. Right. Let's say you get married at 38 or you're, you're not married. You're just living with your girlfriend and maybe you guys have a, you know, a kid together. Yeah. Or a cat. You're not necessarily looking for a four bedroom house in the suburbs. Right. It's a different product mix. And that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now, it doesn't mean, con you know, uh, walkable downtown condos either because cities have become hell holes. But what does that mean? Does it mean potentially much smaller footprint, multifamily? Like, what does it mean? You know, yeah. out in the exurbs, right? And I don't think we've really thought through a lot of that stuff. Um, but that's the other major. So that's financial, macroeconomics and demographics, like, and home building, like y'all are right in the midst of it. The disruptions in real estate are almost a sideshow to some extent to what's happening with construction. Yeah, it's 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 a crystal ball of some sort. I'm not sure if it's the past, future, or or a variation of the present, but that's what I find so fascinating. And why I've I've gotten tuned into you and others on yeah. that on that side is, you know, builders are always talking. How do we properly compensate realtors that are part of the transaction? And mm -hmm. with the supply mm -hmm. demand imbalance, of course, they're like, Kevin, what should we pay realtors? I'm saying you should pay them the fair amount that you think is fair now and in the future, but also mm -hmm. don't really worry about it because 
the rest of the industry and Zillow and Redfin, they're all going to take care of that for you. You're not gonna have to worry yeah. about that in a yeah. while. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I, if I'm a home builder, I don't, I don't really get involved in any of that stuff. What I, what I would think about a lot is like, what does institutional pivot mean for me? That'd be one. What does it mean that home prices potentially are not high, that the dollar has been devalued? Because I think what you guys will see it reflected in is all of the material costs. Yep. Right. All the inputs are, because if the dollar has been devalued, it's not just the home price that's going to be high. It's going to be lumber, you know, steel, yeah. diesel I mean, tra- fuel. Traditionally, it's the land that's appreciating, right. not the materials of your home. Right. <laughs> right. So I would say the dollar devaluation theory should probably play a role. Yep. And then the final piece is demographics, right? That because it takes such a long time for homes to come out of the ground, right? Yeah. You know, maybe take a look at what's happening. And then the final piece is politics. Because the only thing that could really screw everything up is politics, which is, you know, usually the case. <laughs> <laughs> On that sunny note... <laughs> As promised, I hope Rob uh, got you thinking about some things uh, from a different perspective, and and if nothing else, just challenged how you think too. Mm. So Rob, yeah. I really appreciate. And again, you I could be on. wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. You know, so no, but but it's always worth the exercise of going through the what ifs and right. how it plays out. Than than just saying I don't. I mean, again, back to the emperor's new clothes. It's like I wonder how many people, if that was a real scenario, truly. It's like I look at the emperor but I'm so conditioned to not even consider it that in a way, like it took, it would take, it took that little kid like effort to identify, wait, this mm-hmm. person's not wearing clothes. Mm-hmm. And he still had to sit on that, on that thought and process what the heck does this even mean? Why does this guy mm-hmm. have no clothes? Then he verbalizes it. But most people yeah. in today's world, when something difficult comes up, they just f- bounce off of it. Like, I don't want to think about that for more than 10 seconds. Cause it's just, right. just too big. Right. And you can always right. break it into smaller pieces. I think so. So, well, check out uh, all the links in the show notes to uh, Rob's podcast uh, with Greg, his own podcast. Check out his uh, live streams. I, I don't know how you do it. Uh, that's you've been doing like one show. I feel like every other day recently. Yeah, uh, you know. So I do industry relations weekly. Notorious Pod is weekly, and then I have the musings, which is just me. You know, I must have somehow have you combined in a feed where I just see your yeah. face afresh yeah, yeah, every yeah, day. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Rob. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.